week we looked at things that define us. We talked about a moment in time, a snapshot, a picture of our life. That an event that happened to us, a pain, a hurt that happened in our life that ultimately ended up defining us for the next few years, 10 years, 20 years. And whatever we looked at, wherever we went to, whatever we saw, we saw that snapshot looking back at us. But what we saw also was that we didn't have to be that way. That God does not look at us through that snapshot. God does not look at us through that event. God does not look at us through that moment in time, but instead he looks at us with different eyes. And the three things that we saw last week was how, and how God looked at us is that, first of all, in anything that we've done, in any sin that we've been involved with, God has completely forgiven us. It doesn't matter what we've done, where we've been, the pain, the hurt, the whatever that we've inflicted on ourselves or others through our sin, that it's forgiven completely and totally by God. The second thing that we saw was that we're not just completely forgiven, but we're chosen by God. Each one of us in this room, each person on this planet was chosen by God to be in a relationship with him. And there's nothing that we can do to screw that up. There's nothing that we can get away, that we can do to get away from God's unconditional love. And his love will never stop, no matter what we do. And that was the third thing. God loves us unconditionally. And so let's move on to this week. And so we're going to talk about plans. You guys seem kind of unenergetic today. Did you eat too much at the breakfast? Okay, how many of you guys make plans in this room? I think everybody's hands should probably go up because we make plans, you know. We make plans to go to the movies. We, we make plans to take our kids to the park. We make plans to go on vacation. We, we make plans for everything, you know. We make sure that hotels are booked, that the car is fueled up, that the airplane tickets have been purchased so that what we do ends up coming to pass. You know, we put the sunscreen in the bag, we put the sodas and the food in the cooler as we're heading to the beach, and we make sure that everything is prepared. But what we don't plan for, usually in life, is for stuff to go bad in those situations. We don't plan for a monkey wrench to be thrown into our plans. I mean, when I look at our own life, whenever we make plans to do something, and it, and it seems to work out this way a lot, is we'll plan to go to the beach, and that's the one day during the week that there's like a 90% chance of thunderstorms. It happens almost every single time, and I don't get it. And so, like, the last seven, eight months, I've just stopped planning going to the beach because it's going to storm that day. It doesn't matter what day it is. I can guarantee you the weather forecast, if I tell you I'm going to the beach that day, it's going to rain. But even though that happens over and over again, we don't make alternative plans for that. We expect our plans to work out. We expect life to work out. And so we'll make plans to go to the beach. We'll wake up. It'll be, it's going to storm in two hours. So we have to stay home. We complain and we gripe about it. We look on Netflix. We look on on-demand movies to find something to do to take the place of going to the beach. And our whole life is kind of like that, isn't it? You know, we plan to have kids and have them grow up in a happy home. But we don't plan for mom or dad to lose their job. And through losing their job, we lose our house. And because we lost our house, we end up living in our car for a couple of months with our family. We don't plan for that. We don't think it'll happen. 
We plan for our family and our friends to be around us our whole life, but then when one of them dies tragically, suddenly we don't know what to do because we never planned for that. We didn't plan. We planned for the marriage, but we didn't plan for the divorce. Because we didn't think it would happen, we planned to have a baby, but we didn't plan for the miscarriage because we didn't think it would happen. But that's how we are. We plan for good stuff, but we don't plan for bad stuff to happen, and yet it happens to most of us. As a matter of fact, all of us. All of us can look back on our life and see things that caused pain, brought hurt, and caused suffering. And when it does, what's the question we all ask? Why? Exactly. We all ask the question, why? And here's the deal with that question of why, is that in this lifetime, I can tell you that that, we will probably never have an answer to the question of why bad stuff happens to us. Now, some of you, you've been taught that you can't even ask the question why. That if you ask God the question why, that he's going to get mad at you, that he's going to smack you around a little bit, that he's going to put you in your place. Can I tell you, it is okay when bad stuff happens, when life gets crazy, when it goes in a direction that you didn't plan for, you can ask God the question of why. The only thing is, you're probably not going to get an answer in this lifetime. And that's something you have to be able to reckon with and deal with, is that there might, you might be, have to live your whole life without ever knowing why that happened. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I want to look at a few things that help us get past pain, hurt, and suffering in our life. And then we're going to go back to the story of David and Goliath and look at a couple of things in those events to help us in life with this. And so the first three things are statements that I want to make beforehand, uh, before we go into the story of David and Goliath. And the first statement that I want to make is this. The first thing that we have to know is God is good. And so to start with this morning, I'm going to be in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. It's not our main text. Uh, I'm going to be in chapter 7. We're going to start reading in verse 7. It'll be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. We're going to read through verse 11. And this is what it says. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So there's two things going on in here. There's two observations that I made in this verse. And the first one is this, we are evil. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. So let's look at the second observation. The second one is this, God gives good gifts. Not only does he give good gifts, but it's the only kind of gift he knows how to give. I mean, we all know people who give bad gifts, right? Has anybody ever uttered the phrase, what's the thought that counts? Do you really believe that? If you got a really bad gift, it's like, they must not have thought very much of me. But 
we all know people who give bad gifts. I've got a bad gift right here in my front pocket. This bad gift looks like this. If you cannot see this bad gift, this is a wallet with a pot leaf on it. In one of our youth ministries, one of our teenagers thought that this would be a good gift to give to their youth pastor. And you may be saying, well, why do you even still have it? Because nobody would believe me if I just told them that a youth gave me a wallet with a pot leaf on it. I had to hold on to it so that I could prove it actually happened. And so if you're ever looking for a gift for me, please, nothing with pot leaves on it, okay? Not a good gift. But see, God, God doesn't give us stuff like this. And I know that some of you are thinking, well, this thing happened to me that I didn't want to happen. It hurt. It was painful. I wouldn't want anyone to go through that. And because of this thing happening that was bad and everything comes from God, that must mean God must, in fact, give bad gifts. Well, here's what we are saying when we say that. What we are concluding is that the circumstances of our life dictate our belief in God. But we can't have it that way. See, what you're saying is that you will believe in God, that he's good and that he's true and that he's right, as long as he gives you what you want. What you think is good, what you think is right, what you think you deserve. And when we think that God should give us what we think is right, what we think we deserve, what we think we should get, we really don't believe in God anymore. What we in fact believe in is a genie up in the sky that is there to grant our every wish. But that's not who God is. He's not in heaven waiting and wanting to make us happy. And I know this is a confusion that we get into in life because a lot of parents, that's how they raise their kids. They raise their kids in the belief that my goal and purpose in life is to make sure that my kids are happy, that they get what they want, that they get anything that they could want or need or desire. Well, God doesn't parent that way because that's bad parenting, okay? And I know some of you probably are like, oh, you suck. Well, it is bad parenting because all you create is a spoiled brat. God has never promised us a happy life. God has promised us peace in the circumstances that we're going through. He's promised us joy in the circumstances that we're going through. He's promised us to be with us no matter where we are at and what is happening, but never, ever, ever has he said he wants to make us happy. And so we've got to remember that. But what we do is we lose sight of that and we chase after happiness like it's the reason that God put us here. We're like a six-year-old 
who on Christmas Day opens $5,000 worth of presents and has them laying all around them on the floor, but you didn't get them the coolest gift that Christmas, and so they're screaming and yelling and crying because they didn't get that one gift. And what we also fail to understand is actually how much of the goodness of God we really have in our life. As far as I know, all of you woke up with a roof over your head this morning, correct? Okay. All of us ate today. If you came to the breakfast, you probably ate more than you should have. All of us opened our closet, and there was more than a shirt and a pair of pants in that closet. We had a multitude of outfits to choose from. I think that all of you drove in a vehicle to church today. Many of you have missed multiple Sundays this year because you've been out of town or on vacation. And somebody is going to walk away with a brand new gas grill this morning. But here's the deal. We think that we're owed all of that stuff. God, you owe me a nice house. You owe me a vacation. You owe me a car. You owe me all of this stuff. God doesn't owe us anything. And what's worse is we never give credit to God for all of the good things that he does for us, but the moment something goes wrong, we pick God up and throw him under the bus immediately. That's messed up. God is good and he's given us so much more than what we deserve. And here's something that's going to blow some of your minds. You're just going to be like, sometimes the bad things that we experience in life come from God's goodness. Wait, what? Let me explain it to you this way. All right, let's say you got a call, friend, your spouse, child, whatever. Think of somebody you love. You got a call. And it was, this person is being rushed into emergency surgery because they've got 90% blockages in all of their arteries. And so you rush to the hospital to see what's going on. And as you walk in, you see a surgeon standing there with a knife about to cut your loved one open. Do you walk in there and scream, drop the knife! Don't hurt him! Don't hurt her! No, we don't do that, right? Because we know that the pain that the doctor is about to inflict on our loved one is ultimately going to be for their betterment and for their good. And sometimes, in God's goodness, he allows pain, he allows hurt, he allows suffering in our lives because he's doing open heart surgery on us and there's something in us that if it's not removed is going to kill us and the only way for this thing to come out is that if there's some sort of 
pain and hurt inflicted on us. And so that's the first thing we need to realize. God is good. The second thing that we need to know to get past pain and hurt is that God is all-powerful. Some people will argue that the reason that bad stuff happens is because God is, in fact, not all-powerful. He doesn't have control. He doesn't have authority. He can't exercise power in every situation. You guys felt power before, right? There's many different ways we feel power. I mean, the ocean is a powerful force if you've ever been in it. Um, one year, uh, one time we were at a beach in uh, Beverly, Massachusetts. It was called the Singing Beach. And man, it had huge waves this one day. And I decided I was going to go out and I was going to swim in these waves. And I just go out and, you know, you dive into the wave uh, as it's coming, breaking over you. It's kind of fun. Well, this one wave, it was huge. I don't know, it was like eight, nine feet tall. And I just decided I'm going to dive into it. I dove into the wave got about halfway through, my forward momentum stopped, and the wave just took me like this, bam, slammed me against the ocean floor, knocked the wind out of me. Then the undertow started dragging me across the bottom of the the ocean. So by the time I was able to get my footing and stand up out of the water and catch a breath, I was, my back was all scratched up, I was bleeding, and I had the wind knocked out of me. I mean, that's a pretty powerful force when you think about it, if a wave can do something like that. Well, let's think about God for a moment. It says in Isaiah 40, chapter 12, that he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. So that little wave that almost killed me is in the palm of God's hand. It says that he holds the universe between his thumb and his forefingers. 33 million light years across and God holds it between his thumb and his forefingers. That's kind of powerful. He can walk on water. He can change water into wine. He can raise the dead. Okay, God is all-powerful, more powerful than anything that we know or we understand, and because of that, God has power in and over our circumstances. And then the third thing I want you to know is that bad things are going to happen. This is the reality of life. We can't avoid it. See, we've tried to make the world safe, haven't we? Everything is about safety these days. I mean... When I was a kid, the monkey bars were over cement, okay? Nowadays, they've taken the monkey bars off the playground because they're too dangerous. You know, some of you would argue that I was, I'm a living reason why they, they did what they did. But, you know, I rode on my mom's lap in the front seat of a car, We were left in running cars. I think I told this story before. My dad pulled into a McDonald's when I was three, ran in to get something, left me in the car with the car running. At three years old, I shifted the car into reverse and started backing out of the spot at McDonald's. Thankfully, I didn't hit anything. But we do everything we can now in this world to prevent bad things from happening. But no matter what we do, We cannot stop all bad things, and bad things are going to happen. And the reason is that there is evil in this world. And so the thought you may have had, well, why doesn't God just wipe out all the evil in the world if he's all-powerful? 
okay? If God were to announce that at midnight he was going to wipe out all evil in the world, at 12.01, who would be left? You wouldn't. I wouldn't. None of us would be here. See, we have this idea that evil is the thing that other people do. But we completely discount our own evil. The Bible says, it says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, there is none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. We are no better than anyone else. We have nothing in us that makes us better than anyone else, and we are part of the reason there's so much pain and hurt and suffering in this world. And if God were to really take it all away, he would have to take us out too. And I don't think we all want to be taken out, do we? God leaves us here. God keeps us here. God allows us to live even though we bring evil in the world because he's good and he loves us. But we have to remember that in that, bad things are going to happen. And so those are the three things that I know about pain, hurt, and suffering. And now let's look, two thing, let's look at two things from the event of David and Goliath that relate to this. And the first one is this. Many people think that God gives us pain and hurt to punish us for the bad things that we have done. But that's not the case. God does not punish us with suffering and pain. Instead, he uses it to prepare us. What do I mean? Well, let's go over to David and Goliath. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to read verses 32 through 37 this morning. And uh, if you're not sure where uh, 1 Samuel's at, it'll be on the screen behind me, but this is what it says. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant that has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. All right, so how is this related to what we're talking about? David was a shepherd, and David loved his sheep. That's who he spent all of his time with. If we were to jump on David's Twitter feed and read what he would tweet about at that time, he would tweet about loving the sheep. He would tweet about the great things that Fluffy is doing. He would tweet about the other awesome things that the sheep are doing. It's just like some of you are with your dogs or your other pets, you know, how your dog just comes and sleeps in your bed with you, eats from your plate, he even licks you across the mouth and like that, when, when, you know, because you love your dog. This is how David was with the sheep because in reality, they were the only friends that David had as a shepherd. So when a lion or bear came to try and get a free meal to kill something the shepherd loved, it was painful, it was hurtful, it was tragic. And the shepherd feared this happening. 
It would be like you watching your dog get carried off by a lion or bear. This is what happened to David, but the key here is David's response to the situation. When the lion or bear took off with his loved sheep, David could, he could have sat down in the sheep pen and cried. He could have told God that God was a loser, was mean and cruel, and he was done with them. He could have gotten angry and let it control the rest of his life, but he didn't. See, the Bible says that David got up and went after the lion. David got up and he went after the bear. He didn't stop pursuing it until he caught it and killed it. When, David, when tragedy struck David, he went after the tragedy. Because the key was God was using these tragedies, these hardships, these difficulties, this pain and this hurt that David went through to prepare him for this very day. Well, that's kind of mean of God. No. God knew that the battle with the lion and that the battle with the bear were preparing David for the battle with Goliath. Did it hurt David to bury his sheep? Yes, of course it did. Did it hurt David that he had to go through this event multiple times in his life? Absolutely. But there was a greater purpose at work here in the life of David. And that greater purpose was God was getting him ready to face a much worse situation than he'd ever faced before in his life. And he was preparing him and setting him up so that David, when he stood in that circumstance, when he stood in that situation, would be able to walk out of that ring as the victor. He was preparing him for this fight with Goliath. And in our pain and in our hurt and in our, the, the things that happen to us, God is doing the same thing. Then the second thing that I want you to know is that our pain, hurt, and suffering ultimately leads to triumph. The pain and hurt that David went through ultimately led to his triumph over Goliath and him becoming the king of the nation and our tragedy is going to lead to triumph as well. See, too many people waste their pain. They waste their pain by letting it make them bitter, angry, frustrated, and mad. And so they spend their life, they spend their time being angry at God and being angry at the situation when in fact what they should have done is gotten up, gone after that tragedy, and God would have given them victory over whatever it is that they were ultimately facing in that situation. I mean, think about over and over again in the Old and the New Testament, the places that that happened. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire. God coming and delivering them out of the fire. I mean, tragedy. I mean, think about tragedy. Being thrown in a fire is pretty serious. God taking Daniel and putting him in the lion's den. Daniel didn't avoid the lion's den. He went through the lion's den, but ultimately came out victorious. And we could continue with Jacob and Moses and Jesus. This is what Romans 8.28 was talking about when it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. See, God's always working for our good, even when we don't see it. I can't tell you how, but I know that he said it, and we have to stand on it if he said it. Your tragedy will always lead to triumph. And I know what's going through people's minds right now. You're thinking to yourself, this dude smoking some crack. 
He doesn't know what it's like to truly suffer because if God really loved me, he wouldn't let this happen to me. God doesn't even understand what it's like to endure life like we have to endure it. And so I want to close with this story. Mano, if you could come back up. I've read this story before, but it speaks clearly to what we're talking about. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Some of the groups near the front talked heatedly, not cringing with shame, but belligerent. How can God judge us? How can he know about suffering, snapped a brunette, who unbuttoned her sleeve and rolled up her arm to reveal a number tattooed on her arm from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured horror and death in those camps. Standing next to her was an African-American, and he said, well, what about this? And he pulled back his collar to reveal the rope burns from a lynching that he had suffered. He said, my people endured slave ships, torment, hurt, and pain, suffocated, been wrenched from loved ones, and toiled until only death gave us relief. Far across the plain, there were hundreds of such groups. Each one had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering being permitted in the world. See how lucky God was to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light, where there was no weeping, where there was no fear, where there was no hunger, where there was no pain or suffering. Indeed, what did God know about what man had been forced to endure in this world? He lives a pretty sheltered life. So each group sent out a leader chosen because he or she had suffered the most. And in the center of the plane, they consulted with each other. And they brought their case. It was rather simple. Before God would be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. But because he was God, they they set certain safeguards to be sure that he could not use his divine power to help himself. They decided he should be born a Jew. Let people question who his father really was and let them think that his mother was somebody who slept with men when she wasn't married. Let him champion a cause so just but so radical that it brings down on him the hate, condemnation, and eliminating efforts of every major traditional and established religious and political authority. Let him try and describe what no man has ever seen, tasted, heard, or smelled. Let him try and communicate God to men. Let him be betrayed by his dearest friends. Let him be indicted on false charges, tried before a prejudiced jury, and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him see what it's like to be terribly alone and completely abandoned 
by every little living thing. Let him be tortured and let him die the most humiliating death with common thieves. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the great throngs of people. When the last had finished pronouncing their sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word, for suddenly all knew God had already served that sentence. He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. He knows what you've had to endure because he endured it too. But the thing was is that he didn't let his tragedy keep him down. He let his tragedy lead to triumph and him rising from the grave. And God has something like that in store for you if you will just instead of just allowing the hatred and the anger and the frustration to take over your life, if you'll just allow God to take your pain, to take your suffering, to take the things that you're going through and to turn them into victory, God's going to do great things through that and through you.